I didn't even realize how funny that was until after it came out. If something's not easy the first time around, it doesn't mean that you are not worthy of doing that thing. That felt like a really stupid moment in my life where I just gave up on something before I even gave it a shot. You feel like you're having this completely unique experience, completely alone. We end up working hard to fit into the stories, the molds that we create for ourselves. It sounds callous, but we're not that special, right? There's no way that our experiences are so unique. This is your call to action, listeners. Any one of you who's had this happen, please (laughs) let us know. (laughs) Let me feel less alone, please. Hello, and welcome to Shiny Objects. I'm Jamie King. And I'm Elise Mason. We're founders who also happen to be cousins and best friends. After over a decade of working together, we're pulling back the curtain and getting raw and real about the messy business of work and the reality and sometimes fantasy of what it's like to be your own boss. Hello. Hi, Jamie. How are you? I am doing, I feel sunny today, which it's because it is sunny today here in Portland and it's been so nice. It's been life-giving. You, you forget sometimes like how much that can be a mood booster when you're without it for some time. And our evenings have gotten a little bit longer. Like we have more daylight hour and oh my God, it changes everything. Everybody's mood. We stay outside longer. Everybody's happier to go outside and it just feels less like hard to come up with a million games indoors. It feels less hard. So I'm feeling sunny. How are you doing? Wonderful. (laughs) What a wonderful way to feel. I just took your hit and flow class from Monday. So that was the March 1st class. And you included two hit minutes in it. And I am currently daydreaming of ways to pay that back to you. I'm feeling uh, a little evil plotting energy right now. I like that energy. I'm here for it. You can definitely pay that back, pay it forward. Yeah, that class was shoulders and core. Oh my. I was dreaming up that class over the weekend. And I think Nikki taught a class where the joke was about kitchen sink rage. And I felt like this was me in my moving mentality, all the growing to-do list stuff I need to get done, rage. And rage in a good way, like that energy from just, I have so much I need to do. So we're all going to work. Maybe also I'm preparing in some subconscious way, like preparing for moving, like lifting boxes. You're in training for moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should title it. This is for movers. How is that moving timeline feeling right now? We don't know still what our actual timeline is. It could be soon. It could be still a month plus out. It just depends on if the sellers take the full 30 days or not. And they likely will, but I'm going to keep a shred of optimism that they won't that we could start the process a little sooner just because it would be a lot easier on us if they did because as my son will be turning three and it could be the the exact same weekend that we move which just stinks but it's not the end of the world it's just weird (laughs) so yeah I'm looking at this time in between this weird place where we're like we're gonna move we haven't actually closed on a house that's in eight days from today that we're talking now on this podcast with the intention that we will be and So I've just started doing like the purging, the selling of furniture that we no longer need, et cetera, et cetera. (sighs) What a wild month you have coming up. I know. That's just life, I think. You don't plan these things this way. They just happen. 
and you roll with it. Anyways, yeah. what is new in your world? I have a little update for you. Maybe this is my unimportant, important news. But on our last episode, I was railing against how silly cold shoulder tops are. It was like, I don't see the point of them. They're dumb. Why would you want a hole in your shoulder? And <laughs> I have to take all of that back. Because now I understand the use case for cold shoulder tops. And probably by now, everyone has seen that image of Dolly Parton getting her vaccine shot through a cold shoulder top. But I witnessed this. I volunteered at a vaccination site a couple of days ago. And so I literally witnessed hundreds of people get a vaccine through their car window. And it was remarkable how many people really struggled to get their shoulder out because it was a cold day. So they were wearing lots of layers Not everyone has thought through, oh, I might need to take my sleeve off. So there was a lot of awkward undressing through car windows. And it was pretty funny. Everyone made it work. But I was like, oh, this is the exact use case for a cold shoulder top. And I stand corrected. That is so funny. I love that happened. That's the use case of go get vaccinated, wear your cold shoulder top. Yeah, I learned from pregnancy because I had to get blood drawn every other week. I swear, I I literally knew everybody at the Kaiser lab. Because of that, I learned very quickly what to wear when you need to get shots or draw blood. And so now I'm very good at figuring out what shirts work and what shirts don't, like what rolls up and what does not and what makes it easy. Yeah. So smart. I don't have any cool shoulder tops though. (laughs) (laughs) Just like you didn't buy maternity clothes. You just made it work with your existing wardrobe. (laughs) Yes, I did not buy maternity clothes, which... I will say, I feel as a bit of a, was a mistake made, not in the not purchasing of them, just, I don't know, not having enough of them. I got some later on from a friend, but I didn't have anything in the beginning. And I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to make all my regular clothes work. And I stretched out so many things. So I don't really recommend that, to be honest. I recommend having a friend or a network where you can receive the clothes you need, or if you have to buy some, but try not to go crazy on the spend because you don't need them for that long <laughs> or maybe you're gonna have eight yeah. babies and then go crazy yeah that'd be so hard to be pregnant and not have any clothes that worked yeah. with that belly and if I were gonna get pregnant again and again then yeah I'd go designer I'd be like designer maternity wear because I'm gonna wear this again and again but it's not my reality but maybe it's somebody's and kudos to you if it is <laughs> my, my unimportant important news is very silly, but it's also helping my sunny disposition. I got a haircut. Whoa. Yeah. For the first time since I think November of 2019. Wow. So I made it over a year without having any scissors to my hairs. And I tell you, I felt like a new person. I was beaming all day. I was just oh. like, this was what I needed. And I didn't even know I needed it. I was so proud for like how long I had gone to the point though that I was literally like when my hair is in a ponytail, it was so straggly at the ends that it was finding this new like just way to all of the hair would get together and be like, oh, we're going to fuck with her. And it would just tangle itself (laughs) into these massive tangles that I would sit there and I would spend so much time like finger combing out these horrendous rat's nest tangles in my hair. And I was like, okay, this is getting ridiculous. This is my ends literally telling me like, we are unhealthy, help us before we just like 
make you chop it off because you won't be able to undo a knot. And so, yeah, it's life-giving. I feel so much better. It's like a literal weight off of my head. (laughs) I am so happy for you. That sounds magical. I just hit my one-year anniversary of no haircuts, and I am really looking forward to ending that streak. I recommend it. I was like pretty proud of myself for my streak as well. And I was like, I don't need a haircut ever again. And then I eat my words because I, I did need this haircut. It was like, <laughs> my hair was speaking to me in all kinds of ways. And it was just like, please just let somebody cut this. <laughs> <laughs> I walked in and my, my hair girl, Mish and friend, she goes, oh my God, you have a mane. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, I do. Oh, yes, I do. We do one-minute handstands with Flex and Flow every day at 5 p.m. Plug in case you want to join us. You don't have to stand on your hands. You can do any kind of inversion, downward dog or dolphin pose or whatever. But one minute with us. And if you fall out, that's also fine because many of us do. But anyways, when I was on, I'm on those all the time. And sometimes the students and friends will be on and they'll like be like, the other one day before this haircut people somebody one of our students was on tom and he was like wow your hair is it always been this long and i was like no this is called quarantine tom (laughs) (laughs) i think it like and also i think a lot of students are so used to seeing my hair up that people just don't have any idea yeah of its massiveness (laughs) yeah (laughs) just how big that bun is when it comes down Mm -hmm. whoa that is a mane yeah you have a lot of hair just in life in general yeah there's a lot of that stuff on my head (laughs) (laughs) oh man oh I have one silly update for you it is a very small update I'm a little disappointed in myself but in my busyness of the weekend of purging moving etc etc I totally fell off my poop map train and yeah And you had said, when I forget about this sort of thing, and I feel bad about myself because I so easily forgot over the weekend. I was thinking about it this morning and I was like, damn it, damn it, she was right. How easy I forget. You got to get back on that train, back on the poop train. I know, but I'm already so many days behind of a log that it feels, that's funny, (laughs) a log. (laughs) I didn't even realize how funny that was until after it came out. Oh man, all of this is funny right now. Ash poop humor is is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> gotta gotta figure that back out. But I'm just so behind now that it feels like, oh darn, I really missed some opportunities there. I think your poop update is really your unimportant important news because the haircut is very important news. Yeah, it is. It's been a life changer. That and the sunshine. It's all part of my sunny disposition. <laughs> my sunny attitude my sunny outlook yeah that should be and my hashtag <laughs> your sunny outlook <laughs> sunny outlook sunny and blessed hashtag <laughs> gratitude hashtag <laughs> grateful ah. oh god i'm getting the full body shakes just thinking about those hashtags yep yep that Okay. We are talking about gratitude today, though, because we're talking about things that we used to feel alone on that we no longer feel alone on. And I think there's a lot of real gratitude, not the hashtag gratitude, but real gratitude associated with finding a way to not feel alone with something anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot, there's a lot of that once you figure out that you're not as alone in something as you might previously think you are. And I think this topic has been really relevant for me in a lot of ways. And I, I'm seeing it through so many different lenses right now, like other people's lenses, not just my own, on how we're all the same and how we feel alone in things, whatever they might be. And the reason I'm saying that is because I've been really spending a lot of time reading all of these beautiful written assignments and watching our recent Hit and Flow teacher training graduates, final video projects, and just pouring through all of these beautiful assignments. And in a lot of the writing assignments, there's this theme of people feeling like they weren't fit enough or people have described themselves as not an athlete, like not the strongest person ever in a room or just like these themes that come out where people felt like, oh, I walk into the fitness space or I walk into a, or I go to run or I go to do something and I just feel like I'm not fit enough, strong enough, whatever enough. One of the women described, I would assume that somebody who does this has to have washboard abs and extensive fitness background. And it was interesting to me because I was thinking, I think we all feel that to a degree. We probably all have those same things that keep us from doing particular activities. Activities. I know I've certainly had those in my lifetime that once we dive in or we give ourselves an opportunity to just be like, I need to put that aside and figure out what this really means. It's often what people find is like, oh, I was so wrong. I think a lot of people feel that way. And also there is no fit enough, strong enough, and there's no requirement of washboard abs, etc. It's really just about my passion for movement and the ability to inspire a group of people and to move with me. And so it's been a, it's been eye opening for me because I feel like somebody who runs a lot and people often tell me I could never do that. Or I don't, I just don't run. I'm not, you know, fit enough to do that. And I'm always like, of course you can run. I'm pretty sure you can run <laughs> like one foot in front of the other. You can run like there's no requirement for how far, how fast, et cetera. And so I think those kinds of things for me go really hand in hand and that sort of resistance to things when we feel alone. Yeah, I really hear that. And I know my writing assignment was one of those <laughs> that hit on some of those themes. And I've been that person who says, I'm not a runner, I could never run, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think a lot of it feels really related to me to the way that we see people who are successful, and how we always end up seeing the end result. Like we see that you can run 100 miles, but we don't necessarily see all of the hours of training that goes into crossing a hundred mile finish line. And I think that's true for so many things. So we develop these imposter syndromes because we see the finished package but without any real understanding of all the work that goes into it. And also the, the failures that go into it. Because I think for almost everybody, there's there's never like a person who goes in, maybe there is, right? Maybe there's just like somebody who is completely masterful at something without having to try too hard. But I'm not that person. I never have been. <laughs> I have to try very hard at most things. And I think that that there's people ask or often have that curiosity to know how you got somewhere. They might discover that, oh, you started from exactly the same place they started. <laughs> and so that cycle of you're not alone in this, like it, that's how you start that, that curiosity to just ask or to explore something in its fullest and just be like, oh, Jamie, like, yeah, she ran 100 miles, but she DNF, I think three <laughs> before finishing one or something like that. So I feel seeing that everybody starts from somewhere is always a good thing. And that yeah, I had to start running at some point, I just did it over a decade ago. <laughs> and I've had lots of trial and error as I've gone. And I 
Yeah. So I always encourage people to give yourself a chance. If something's not easy the first time around, it doesn't mean that you are not worthy of doing that thing. And I think that's the same for hit and flow. I always encourage people like stick with it. It's a challenge. It's supposed to be. And it's going to be hard, but that's why we do it. And so I think reading these just really put that in perspective for me. It's like a lot of people feel really alone when they start in dabbling in movement or fitness. They feel like maybe they don't fit in or they don't fit the quote unquote mold. And I'm like, yeah, we got to do away with that, that like stereotype of what makes ath- like somebody an athlete or not an athlete. Because I just think that, yeah, that's an old, tired standard. And that's what makes me feel so excited that we have spring training coming up. Yeah, that's going to be a fun little adventure. For those of you who haven't heard of spring training yet, we're doing an eight-week run training program, and it's specifically based off of Jamie's training program for her ultra marathons, but she's scaled it down to any distance. So those of us running 5Ks, 10Ks, or half marathon can use what you've learned to become stronger runners ourselves. So it's going to be really fun. And I'm really hoping that this can be an opportunity for everyone, whether they believe themselves a runner or not, to find some confidence in themselves as a runner and maybe push for a new goal. And do it with a huge community and feel less alone in all aspects of it. Feeling less alone and needing some support from others to keep yourself accountable. Feeling less alone in that maybe you think you're the only person that runs (laughs) whatever pace, I don't know. And then maybe discovering that there's a ton of people out there running their 5k at the same pace as you and and just being able to connect virtually with a community and just have that support along the way. I think it's going to be so fun. And I'm excited to see everybody in some ways, the same as with hit and flow teacher training, really surprise themselves and explore new heights and take themselves farther than they, they thought they could. I'm curious, what distance will you be running on our virtual race weekend? Oh, I haven't really thought about that yet. I'll probably do a 10k. I think that's my happy distance. That is a really happy distance. I like that distance a lot too. In fact, I shouldn't say this because then it'll deter people from doing the 5K, which I also think is great. I I find 10Ks a little easier for me than 5Ks because I get too competitive during 5Ks and (laughs) I hurt myself trying to go too fast. And that is just not healthy for me. Yeah, you brought up the the shame around paces part, because that is something that I experienced for a long time. Back when I was doing couch to 5k on repeat, I literally did couch to 5k, I don't know, five times over five years or something, just starting over. And I joined Strava to track my couch to 5k's. But I was completely private and completely secretive about it because I was so ashamed of how slow I ran, how infrequently I ran. Those two were definitely connected (laughs) to each other. And I finally came out of the closet, I don't know, a few years ago. And it's so great how uneventful that was. Nobody fucking cares. Nobody cares. You run. Nobody cares. And letting go of that shame and feeling like it, it mattered what my mile pace was, was very liberating. I'm glad that I don't have to worry about that anymore. It's so funny. I was hoping you'd bring that up. I was hoping I was leading you down the path to bringing that up without me having to bring it up. (laughs) For years, you would not allow my follow request on Strava. And I was like, this is crazy. Like my sister and I can't follow you on Strava. I was like, why won't she let me follow her on Strava? It gave me a nervous tick when I would go on there and still see that I was requested but not accepted. I was like, what kind of secret things is she doing? I think it might have just been my way of trolling you, honestly. <laughs> I hate it. 
I've been thinking about trolling a lot lately in this context because my two-year-old has recently unlocked this new achievement level of trolling my five-year-old because (laughs) for most of his life she's been dishing it out to him and he hasn't really had a lot of ways to pay it back but just recently he's gotten very good at it mostly in that he'll tell her things that are not true for example her my five-year-old's favorite color is pink and so my two-year-old will say to her you don't like pink and this just sets her off she cannot handle him telling her that she doesn't like pink and I'm really enjoying watching him learn how to troll her I love that and so so now I'm like if I didn't let you follow me on Strava it probably had less to do with my pace and more to do with oh this is something that can probably get Jamie's britches in a tangle or in a bunch Uh, what's that phrase (laughs) I don't know oh no that's very challenging but yes not being able to follow you it made me feel really crazy I wanted to know what like secrets you had on there I was like, what is she hiding? And the great thing was it was so boring. There was nothing on there. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you feel liberated because it's nice to just, yeah, it's nice to be like able to give people kudos for things. Every now and then I'll like go on and look at really fast people that I know, like super crazy fast, like elite people just to see what they're doing. Because I'm always intrigued by if they can climb some crazy climb in some ridiculous amount of time. And I'll like go on just to see that. And it's like a moment of, I don't know, humility for me where I'm like, oh God. Jeez, I don't even do that on a flat surface. (laughs) (laughs) Inspirational. Inspirational for sure. (laughs) Only inspirational panties analyzing. Otherwise, I'm I'm like, yeah, I just want to go on and give you kudos and tell you how awesome you are. And that's what I hope spring training is like for others. And so I feel like that'll help. I'm hoping it helps people who are, whether they're like just trying to get maybe a faster time or maybe they're just trying to motivate like people feel less alone in the training cycle especially in this weird time when that feels really important to have like connection and accountability <laughs> or at least it does for me yeah for sure what are you thinking of as your goal for spring training this feels very unfair and I'm trying to debate what I'm going to do about that so our virtual race weekend is June 19th to the 21st and as I am supposedly unless COVID shuts us down running um, the Bighorn 100 miler on June 18th, which will be June 18th (laughs) to June 19th. So I don't feel like I can use that as my virtual race necessarily. So it might be that the challenge for me will be to run a 5k on the Monday following because that will be very hard. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm running a big race that weekend just as it as things fall. It's like the moving my child's birthday and starting preschool all in the same week sort of situation for me in my life. I think you should absolutely count a hundred mile race as your race for spring training. I know. I just, yeah, I was like, I should do one of the distances, but it might motivate me to try and do like a 3.1 miler on Monday following, which (laughs) would be a very shuffly experience. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Maybe I can compete with you on Monday. Totally. Please. Mm -hmm. It's, that would be so lovely to have someone by my side while I'm hobbling around. Which I will run. Smoke me. <laughs> I will run after the fact. Like I, I do it because I think it's important to like get the lactic acid build up, like shaking out. But oh man, but it, it is ugly and it hurts <laughs> and it feels <laughs> funny. Yeah, I feel like the Tin Man. <laughs> now I'm scheming. I think I'm going to talk to your coach, Casey. 
And I'll be like, I have a perfect plan for Jamie's shakeout run. She has to run my pace for a 5K. Oh, that would be so down. No, that'd be so fun. I think we should do that. That sounds lovely. I'll check with your coach, see if it's allowed. (laughs) Okay, you should check in with him. He's pretty strict. I want you to get up. I want you to get all your green checks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, me too. Yeah. So aside from feeling alone in fitness, which I think so many people do, and I really, I really do believe that there's got to be a way we can change that conversation or make people feel like athletes and feel strong without having the stereotypical, I don't know, what other Leatherman jacket and CrossFit achievements. I feel like you can define yourself as an athlete if you move. And I just, yeah, I think that needs to change. I want people to be able to embrace their strengths. Other things though, like in terms of like things you felt alone on, I have a huge one. And I think this is, people are probably like, yeah, of course, like duh, everybody and their mother, literally. But I think one of the things for me where I felt really intimidated in when I was in junior high and high school, I have a tumbling background and my inability to feel confident in myself or to I don't know, get rid of the things that I felt like people thought about me at that age, which was that I was a dork, basically, really deterred me from doing cheerleading tryouts. I got to tryouts and I basically just bailed. And not that I necessarily needed to be a cheerleader, but at the same time, that felt like a really stupid moment in my life where I just gave up on something before I even gave it a shot. And yeah, and I purely quit because I had built up in my head that I wasn't supposed to be there because I didn't have a perfect ponytail with a ribbon. So I've been there. I've been there is what I'm saying. I didn't fit in initially, but I'm sure that would have, those kinds of things change if you give it a chance and you give people a chance to give you a chance, which I realize now because I'm older. (laughs) if I could have coached my former self that. And I don't think cheerleading is the only example of that. I think I did that quite a bit. Like I would just feel like, oh, no one's going to like me or I feel really alone because I don't have X, Y, Z. And then I just wouldn't do it. I would just ghost it completely. And I'm glad I've mostly grown out of that. However, I experienced it again nearly three years ago. And I think a lot of people experience this, but new parenthood especially was really, I felt really alone during that time. And really nobody that is in my super close circle locally here in Portland, aside from one other woman, Tasha, whom you know, was pregnant or had small children. And it was, that was hard. I felt really alone in my experiences and alone. And I didn't know how to ask for help or tell them what I needed, or I don't know. I felt like I was like slowly losing identity and friendships and all those things. And I wasn't, I just, made that a thing for a while because I felt so isolated by my differences, <laughs> which were very big, right? Like you have a whole nother human to care for. Oh my God. It's so isolating. isolating. And even though people try to tell you what it's going to be like, they just can't, there's no way to communicate what it's like. And so you feel like you're having this completely unique experience, completely alone. Yep. <laughs> I could not have said it Like, I could not say that better myself. That is exactly what it is. You just feel like you're the only person that is going through that. And I think actually what got me out of that space was a few things. Surprisingly, one of them was Instagram, connecting with other moms with kids around the same age as my own in similar stages. Weirdly enough, like people I didn't know, but just connected to, we would send each other DMs in the middle of the night while we were breastfeeding. And that was like... I needed that. It was everything to me at that time. And I I hate to say that because it sounds so cheesy that I turned to online like Instagram DMs to compare 
stories, but it was just this sense of solidarity and also just a place where I could be like, this is what I'm doing like right now. And you're also doing a similar thing. And that makes me feel less alone and a little less crazy that I'm up at 3am or whatever it is. And I really, yeah, I really turned to that. And I felt like that was my people for a little while, even though I'd never met these people in my real life. Which just goes to show how powerful online community can be. Those are real relationships. And they got me through that. They really, truly got me through those first stages of motherhood because as as I told you later, I was really struggling, but I would never say that out loud. I internalized all of it. And I was a sunny disposition on the outside. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, what's going on today? (laughs) I'm fine now. But yeah, now I grape all the time about my toddler woes. And it feels so much healthier just to say it out loud. I do have another close friend who has two kids here locally, but her kids are quite a bit older. When you're newborn stage, it's just different than when she has like grown kids, grownish kids. But we were talking the other day and I was telling her that one of the things that really helped free me from this guilt or this shame or this feeling of not enough as a parent was just you simply sharing with me that you don't love to pretend play with your kids. And I was like, I can say that to you, like that I hate this part. (laughs) And like, I felt so liberated to know that other people feel that way because I felt like I was like missing some piece of me that I just don't like to do that. And she was like, oh my God, I was like the worst. (laughs) She's like, I'm the worst at playing. And I was like, oh, so funny because that makes me feel like all of the things I needed to hear like earlier that now like I'm starting to understand that's like a very shared experience by a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's so many things in motherhood where I felt like I felt so much shame around not liking something or not finding joy in it. And then just hearing someone else admit to that same feeling. Oh my God, what a weight off. Yes. It's huge. In the middle of probably my first baby year and everyone was like, babies are so magical. Appreciate this time, etc. And I was like, I hate this time. <laughs> this is boring and soul crushing. And I'm tired. I read some woman writing about how everyone told her those same things. And then on the day that her kids started kindergarten, and she sent them off to school, and she was like, all the other mothers were crying. And I was beaming from ear to ear look I made a little human she's going to school now we have conversations (laughs) and she's like I do not miss the baby years she's like don't let anyone gaslight you into thinking you're supposed to love those (laughs) because some people don't yeah (laughs) I was like oh my god it doesn't mean I'm a horrible human or a horrible mother if I don't care for the baby time yep yep I needed to hear that too because it wasn't my like, of course, I love my kid and I loved when he was baby and there's so many moments of that, but I'm definitely like, it's just, that's just not my sweet spot. Even though this time has its own challenges, like very many of them. <laughs> I do find that now that we can have a conversation, it's become easier for me to feel like, I don't know, to have like more confidence in myself as a parent, maybe. I just feel like I know what to do a little bit more. Maybe yeah. I just seek that validation. Tell me what you want. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's so much better when they can just say what they want. Yeah, stop staring at me. Stop yelling at me. <laughs> what do you want? And you know they want your boob or food or to sleep or they get their diaper changed or they have gas and they want you to pump their legs. 
But in the moment, <laughs> it feels so like you're doing something that's just completely, you just don't know. And you're just like, what am I not doing? Just or like try just, everything and <laughs> nothing works. <laughs> or maybe they just feel like crying. Who knows? Who like, knows? Yeah. yeah. I joined a mom's group after my, actually after both kids were born, but with my first. And it was, I don't know, 15 moms. We met like once a week and ate oatmeal and talked about our feelings. And it was a lovely group. And actually a lot of my close friends have come out of that group, but those friendships developed later. And in that group, I remember feeling like I was always saying the wrong things. And I just felt like I wasn't connecting with anyone. I was like, I don't belong here. I'm clearly a terrible mother. This is obviously all projection. Um, And I'm sure everyone else was completely wrapped up in their own (laughs) anxieties. But I remember feeling like, wow, I was doing this explicitly to feel less alone as a new mother. And this failed, like this didn't work out. But one of those women, we actually first connected on Instagram and then we like graduated to text messages. And Laura, who I'll shout out here, Laura was my first mom friend in those very tender first postpartum weeks. And I think that relationship, texting with Laura saved me so many times when I was like, I might expire. (laughs) I might just not make it through the night. And so I know those like, those messages in the middle of the night, as small or insignificant as they might seem, are very real and very powerful. Yes. Yes. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy how, yeah, once you reach out or do those things, oh, we're all like in this and there's a very shared experience and we can relate to each other and oh, I'm not alone in my dislike of play or I'm not alone in, you know, my frustration or my wanting to just shut the door and hide <laughs> for my children. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, yeah, it's nice. It's refreshing. It's refreshing. And it's made this, it's made it a lot easier that I now feel how you, this is such a silly way to relate something, but in a way, yeah, like your liberation with sharing your runs on Strava, I felt like all I needed was this gateway to open up and show me like, it's okay just to tell people how you're feeling about this. It's okay that you're not super mom or you're having off days. It's okay to just feel overwhelmed or not smile or whatever. And in the beginning, I like couldn't do that. I didn't accept enough help. I was very like, I've got to show people like, I'm fine. I can do all these things. And that just, yeah, that just wasn't good for me. I was a very strung out, of course, all new parents, very strung out, sleepless person, but to a next level, I had a lot of anxiety built up around it. And I just needed to calm my nerves (laughs) and sort of let go of the control that I was feeling and that emotional weight that I was carrying over. I'm not doing this right. It's so hard to do. And it's so hard to see when you're in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And like people would ask me, oh, how is it? I'd be like, it's great. It's great. We're doing great. He doesn't sleep and I just drink coffee and it's wonderful. I love it. I drink coffee at 4 a.m. <laughs> and I love being up at that time. I love that my first coffee of the day starts at 3.45. It gives me so much more time. Like, I would literally say that. Look at you having it all. I know. And I didn't mean it in that way. I just tried to put this like rosy picture around because I would tell people and they'd be like, why were you awake? And I'm like, well, the thing is, I have this weird thing. If it's 2 a.m., I can go back to bed. But when it becomes like almost 4 a.m., I can't like once I'm awake. And so I'd be like, so it's just giving me a new appreciation for having coffee at 4 (laughs) a.m. Who says that? And also, I don't really like that. I don't know. I don't go to bed early enough to have coffee at 345 in the morning. 
ourselves. Oh, the lies that we tell ourselves to keep ourselves from imploding. Mm -hmm. And like at 9am, people would be like, oh, I'm having a cup of coffee. And I'd be like, how many have you had? And they'd be like, oh, it's my first. And I'm like, oh, cool, cool. Because I've had five. (laughs) Quarter to four. So I'm on cup five, but I'm totally fine. (laughs) Oh, bless your heart. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) I'm not drinking five cups of coffee anymore. Thank God. Oh my God. I just was. I was like literally just steadily like, you should have just put a hose on me, like a camel back. Because I was just, because I could, otherwise I was a zombie and uh, I don't take naps. So I was just going all day and then rinse, repeat. <laughs> Ugh, that was Girl, hard. Not sustainable. Oh no, God. not recommended. <laughs> I think that's been my big lesson in aloneness is, I don't know, for me anyways, it's the new motherhood, particularly new motherhood. I think all of parenthood, motherhood, et cetera, is, can be very isolating, but I I think I'm getting better about asking for help or at least just sharing feelings, emotions, et cetera. It was big for me to tell people that I was feeling all the feelings for when Colby was telling me how much he didn't like me (laughs) or want me for some time. He does it a little bit still, but it's a lot less. It was really harsh for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Monsters. I feel like that that willingness to be vulnerable and admit when you're feeling anxious or alone or that you run really slowly or whatever. That's something that I have had to really work on being okay with as a grown up. I don't know if this is how everyone grows up, but I always felt like it was never okay to admit that you felt insecure or nervous. When I was in graduate school, that was probably the most anxious, one of the most anxious periods of my life. But I remember a friend of mine just saying, oh, speaking in class makes me really anxious. And she said it so casually. And I was like, hold up. You can just say that out loud to people you don't know that well. And no one's looking down on you or judging you. To me, it felt like this huge moment of vulnerability. And it was no big deal to her. And it completely opened my eyes where I was like, oh, you can admit to having these like less than sunshiny feelings or emotions and that's completely normal and we should talk about those kinds of things more 100 percent. and it doesn't always have to be scary it doesn't mean you're a bad person or that you're a failure because yeah so many of us experience those same things and once you open that can of worms it's like oh we're more the same i'm so curious in grad school what was the biggest point of anxiety for you in school what do you think drove a lot of it I think a lot of it was imposter syndrome. I felt really outmatched intellectually. (laughs) And like everyone around me was so smart and it felt like they'd read and understood so much more than I had. And I think even more than that, it was that I didn't really know how to do grad school. I read a bunch of books and I frantically took notes and tried to think about them, but I wish that I had, I wish I'd had a little bit more mentorship or coaching around how to be successful at grad school. It felt very much like a sink or swim kind of environment. There wasn't a whole lot of compassion, I would say, from the people in charge. Or maybe they didn't really know how to show up in that way either. I don't know. I remember when you quit, when you decided it wasn't for you anymore. And I remember feeling so proud and so in awe of your decision making and your ability to move forward with that because it felt like such a hard, and I don't know, it was like, you were doing this really big thing, making this huge decision. 
And it was almost like the unpopular decision. It was unheard of in our family. Like my decisions to not go to grad school or law school or something else school after college felt unpopular also. And to then just quit your program, you got your master's, which is amazing. I was like, whoa, she's got such huge balls. And I was like, I can't think of another way to say that. But, but yeah, I was like super, like, it just floored me. I was like so amazed by it. And also I didn't really understand like what drove you to that decision other than you like just were no longer feeling like it was your place. And I didn't realize that it was based on all of those things that you just mentioned. And it's interesting because I can't imagine any place where you would feel academically unmatched. And I'm just like, I'm scared of those people. <laughs> now that I know that I'm like, I'm scared of these smart humans that are running around the earth, like that know so many big words and have vocabularies that are outside of my like wildest dreams. And I read lots of books, oh but God, man, they're so smart. I just can't even imagine. But it's interesting. I didn't know exactly to the degree that you were experiencing that anxiety, even though I knew you at that time. And I remember you told me, you actually told me about your decision. We were shopping. I don't know if you remember this. And I, was I do. Like, it was a really big moment of courage for me to admit out loud that I was ready to quit. So wow. I actually can picture where we were standing. I think I even know what we were looking at. I was, I was so impressed. It was like, it felt so empowering to me and I loved that you were making a decision for yourself and it felt so grown up and I was just like, wow, that's amazing. I need to make, make more grown up decisions. <laughs> that's what I took out of it. Thank you. I appreciate that you're that loyal friend who always has my back and supports me no matter what kinds of decisions I'm making, whether they're popular or unpopular. <laughs> so thank you. That was a huge moment for me when I was like, okay, I'm actually going to admit this out loud. And you were like, oh, okay. And it wasn't like, <laughs> you're an idiot. <laughs> Don't quit. <laughs> but you're just I mean, like, oh, yeah, you should do that then. <laughs> yeah, I know. I also was like, does that mean you're going to move back to the West Coast? Like I was feeling excited for you to be closer, but I didn't want to make it about me. So I was like, great. You should. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one one example that I think if I'd been a little bit older or a little bit wiser, maybe I would have better understood how to not feel so alone in feeling outmatched and not knowing what the fuck I was doing. I could have made better use of resources, whether those were peers or professors, so that I could have had a better experience there and gotten more out of it. I mean, I got a ton out of it. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to go. And I'm grateful that I'm no longer there. Um, but <laughs> I, yeah, it, I think it could have turned out very differently had I felt more empowered to admit that I was feeling so vulnerable and so bad at it. I honestly felt that way most of my college career. So <laughs> I mean, my four years at Berkeley, I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, <laughs> How did I get here? I struggled with that so much. I felt all the time like people were just like their resumes from high school or from childhood were just like this laundry list of achievements. And I was like, cool, I played on my high school tennis team. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I had a roommate who had already determined her architecture track. She had all these classes in architecture. She knew what architecture was. She had drawings. And I was like, I don't have any clue what I'm doing here. I am basically a baby still. And <laughs> like, I actually remember my freshman orientation. I went with my mom and you go around with this group of students who 
I never ever saw again, thank God. But as we're walking, everyone's asking SAT scores. And I did not get a great SAT score. And I was like, I don't want to talk about this. I was like, this is, what sucks. But then they were just like, so what did you get? And I whispered it and I was like, shame. And this girl turns around to me and she goes, wow, are you an athlete or something? And I was like, oh, no. I'm here on academics, but I, I do consider myself an athlete. Thank you. I was just so embarrassed. And I was like, oh my God. And it set me up for years of that imposter syndrome feeling or just feeling like I had to prove myself in all the ways to everybody. And that was tiring. That was really tiring. And I couldn't just accept that I got in there on my own merit. What does a stupid test score mean? I don't know. I didn't take any SAT prep. I didn't take any of that stuff. I didn't do it. I just totally blew it off. It's like you get what you pay for (laughs) in terms of test scores. And I could never just give myself that satisfaction or just release that pressure I put on myself. Like, oh, you just, who knows why they put you here. I would joke that they didn't want to have too many smart people in every class. I can't have that many geniuses every year. Oh my gosh. I need a couple people to balance it out. I would joke about that with my other roommate who also got in on academics but scored low. And I, I always had that weird feeling. So I totally understand that, but on a different level. It was just my undergrad where I was like, I do not belong here. I think it's absurd that you didn't think you belonged there. So you thought you weren't smart. <laughs> For the record, just want to put that in this record. <laughs> But I understand that feeling like you don't belong and how undermining that is for your self-confidence. And you're so much better at laughing it off and making jokes about it than I am, where I was just like, I shriveled into a caffeine-fueled anxiety blob. I think that in that insecurity going into school like that, I just, I don't know, I created this persona of myself so that I could like fit into this person who didn't fit the rest of the mold almost. Like I needed to be like, the really fun, always the life of the party person. Cause, and I would always tell people the joke that somebody at orientation asked me if I were an athlete. <laughs> and I would be like, I thanked her. I was like, thank you. Thank you for noticing. But yeah, that was just, I totally get that anxiety and that like feeling. And then we, we tell ourselves these stories and then we just let them become our reality. And it's like, why do we do that? It's so true. We end up working hard to fit into the stories, the molds that we create for ourselves. Yep. To feel less alone. <laughs> Or to make it feel like it makes sense, like somehow convince ourselves that <laughs> this is the way it, this is the way it really is. I'm not here because I deserve to be here or I earned it or whatever. I'm here because they needed to even out, you know, <laughs> I sound like such a crazy or I'm the only mom who experiences this, which is ridiculous when you think about it. <laughs> so ridiculous. It sounds callous, but we're not that special, right? There's no way that our experiences are so unique. Mm-hmm. whether it's parenting or imposter syndrome. That is 100%. I just have to say that the one thing I might, I would like to know if I'm alone in this. I would really like to know <laughs> if this happened to anybody else because <laughs> this is an early parenting moment that I, I always am curious. I don't always talk about it because it's really gross, but I'm like, has this happened to anybody? My son was probably four or five months old, I want to say. Yeah, he must have been. He was like able to like, yeah, his neck was happy and <laughs> stable and all those things. Anyways, he had just finished breastfeeding, like a belly full of breast milk. And I just wasn't thinking. And he was giggly and like playing. And so I like was playing with him. I was sitting on the couch and we had just finished. And his nanny, Bianca, was sitting in the same room. And I was playing and I lifted him up over my head. His body was perpendicular to me. And I looked up at him and I was smiling. I had him under the armpits. And... 
of course, because he just ate, he threw up breast milk straight into my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> like baby birded me. Oh, and the horror of like, Bianca was like, um, let me get you a, t-. I mean, she was so sweet and so gracious and just make like a big deal. But like, I could tell she was like, oh my God. And I was just like, oh, and I also was like, I totally did this to myself. I was not thinking. <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm very curious. I want to know. Has your child ever thrown up into your own mouth? <laughs> it's never happened to me, but I can't imagine that you're alone on this one. <laughs> this is your call to action, listeners. Any one of you who's had this happen, please <laughs> let us know. <laughs> yeah. Have you been baby burdened by your kid? Let me feel less alone, please. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Shiny Objects. If you enjoyed it, we would so appreciate you leaving a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice. And please check out our sister podcast, The Activist. That's active with an E-I-S-T. Thanks for being here and see you next time.